0: Like to open with me to the book of John. John chapter one verses fifteen through seventeen. Will be our stepping off point tonight. As we do begin a new series, it won't be a book series, but a topical series once again. John chapter one verses fifteen through seventeen again, just to set our thoughts um, correctly as we undergo this beginning here. John one verse fifteen. It says, John bore witness of him, this being Jesus, and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And with that thought, let's bow our heads once again and ask the Lord to bless this study tonight. Heavenly Father, we're grateful once again, Lord, for this time to gather together. Thank you, Lord, for this time that we've had already uh, to come before you and come boldly before the throne of grace and prayer and in consideration. So, Father, again, I do ask that you would bless us as we consider your word, that you would help us, Father, to receive it fully, Father, not just to take it for a time and be satisfied, perhaps, as we scratch an itch, Lord, but to help it. Help it to shape us, Father. Help it to strengthen us and grow us in faith, deeper than we were when we arrived here, I ask. And more so as we consider it, Lord, for ourselves. And consider these things to see if they are indeed so. Bless it to our hearts, Father, I pray. And help us to draw nearer to you in it. I ask these things again in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, Again, a new series tonight. And as you can see by our title there, I've called it Grace from the beginning, I know that no one here is a stranger to the concept of grace. I know that it's something that means something to you. I trust that it is. It must mean something to us because our songs are riddled with the term grace. Our assembly is named for this word and this concept. Our prayers are oftentimes peppered with the word and the term grace, asking the Lord for his grace. Uh, we understand Uh, what grace is. And well, I have a a list of what we understand just to begin with. We understand that grace, that unmerited favor, that goodness that comes that we do not deserve. We understand it's a free gift. We understand that it's eternal in its nature. That gift is never revoked from us. It's non-discriminating, absolutely for anybody and everybody who is willing to receive his grace. It's all abundant, meaning it's Just when we think we've plumbed the depths of it, uh, it's, well, there's more and more there. Uh, It's all purpose. It serves every need that we have. It's priceless in its value. And it certainly is timeless. Now, unfortunately, and I've confirmed this over the years and in recent considerations and preparation for this study, and it will be several weeks, I imagine, uh, a number of God's people don't understand all of these things about grace. A number of God's people uh, mistake it for being the opposite, some of these things. That grace is indeed something that is earned in some way, whether they acknowledge that in words or not. Uh, They present it as something that must be deserved. They present it as something that is revocable, uh, something that is selective in its application, something that's limited and can't cover everything and all things, limited in value, limited in its provision, limited in its quantity, and limited in its quality. Uh, And it also remains, well, it's oftentimes mistaken for being something that is only found from the book of Matthew forward. It's not timeless, uh, is how it's presented oftentimes. I'm shocked by the number of God's people and the, and the groups that gather underneath the banner of Christendom and Christianity that almost entirely dismiss the Old Testament just out of pocket. Just push it away as being something that was for a different time and a different application. And uh, I would dare say that they almost present it as being a different God entirely. I've made this uh, comment and kind of shared that kind of rhetoric before that Different ones will look and say that's a God of judgment and a God of... Well, it was completely different. Once Jesus came, everything was different for God's people. And I'm the first one to certainly stress that Jesus did indeed fulfill the law. That the law is indeed not for us under this time of grace and and this age that we live in. But it was the same God. And it was the same Jesus that was there. And it was the same Holy Spirit that was present as well. And... Well, we would be remiss to dismiss so much of the richness that is in the Old Testament. And the fact of the matter is that the grace that we know, that unmerited favor that is abundant to us and all purpose for everything and covers everything for us today, while it might not have been delivered in the same manner that we receive it today, and while it might not have been understood to the same measure of depth, but let's be honest, unto whom much is given, much is required. And we've been given a whole lot in this age, having it cover to cover presented to us. Uh, but that being said, while they didn't perhaps understand it fully, it does not mean that grace wasn't present and grace wasn't absolutely every one of these things that we see here. It is indeed timeless. We are going to consider the timelessness of grace. Uh, I was probably... Uh, in my early 20s, and I don't even remember where it was, but I remember Brother uh, Orville Freestone was giving a lesson. I don't remember if it was in a church service or if it was in camp meeting or what, but he said, I encourage you to look sometime for yourself and study where grace is found in the Old Testament. He says it's a worthwhile study, and saints, it absolutely is. So that's what we're going to be doing. Um, not by Brother Freestone's prompting. I haven't talked to him for some time. Uh, But certainly it is a worthwhile study. And so that's what we're going to do. Not that I believe that we are guilty of, of dismissing the grace of our God in the Old Testament. But sometimes we don't take advantage of the opportunity to look at the richness again. In those times when Jesus wasn't known by name. When the crucifixion had not taken place. When we don't have the... Well, just the joy that came on that morning when he was resurrected, they didn't have that. And there was, well, a lot going on uh, between Genesis and Malachi. But grace was there, and our Lord was there. And his kindness was there, and his tenderness was there. But certainly it was, well, there to temper some judgment as well. But grace was presented. And I think that it's valid for us to look at that. Um, I have it uh, written in my notes here that while we might understand what grace is, we also need to understand where it is. And so we're going to look here and see where grace is presented in some of these Old Testament moments and where it's presented there for us to see today. Now, um, as we just read there in John chapter 1, well, verse 16 and 17, what did it tell us there? It says, of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we have to begin by understanding, certainly, that grace is found, grace is embodied. Unmerited favor is absolutely fulfilled, and it's the perfect the perfect presentation of grace is the Son of God giving himself for all mankind. The perfect Son of God, the one who came down from heaven and put himself into the form of man, the one who was perfect, sinned not, all of those things we know Jesus to have been. Giving up of himself entirely, his place, his position, his reputation, all of those things. And he offered himself for us who aren't worthy of any of those things. We've considered our worthiness in recent lessons, as a matter of fact. Um, All of this grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, if you turn over there, I imagine we'll probably be there a number of times over the course of this study. Because Romans 5 does speak of grace quite often, uh, quite extensively. Romans itself does, as it talks about the Christian experience that Paul wrote there in that book. But he says there in Romans chapter 5 and verse 18, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, that being Adam, Adam's sin, Adam's fall, led to our own curse, the curse of sin, the curse of death, resulted in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men. Not just, well, not just a select few. It came to all. Now, whether or not all men are going to receive that, we understand that all men won't receive that gift. But the gift came and it was presented. Joy, the angel told the shepherds, and I always butcher the for the life of me when I stand up here. I can't quote scripture, as you well know. But he said, glad tidings which shall be to all people. The glad tidings were there. And they were glad and should have been accepted as such. But, you know, you've watched movies before that you think are hilarious. <laughs> this is a hilarious movie. Not everyone... Finds what you think funny. Funny. Not everyone finds what you find glad to be glad. But the Lord was glad tidings. The Lord is glad tidings. And the gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. And so we understand, many will indeed yet be made righteous, certainly, by Jesus' act, by his work. But, not only those ones who will become righteous in, in the years to come, not just the ones after Jesus rose from the grave, not just those ones that come after, well, that age of the law and the, and the ages before that, but all those ones before were made righteous by Jesus' sacrifice. Grace was extended to those ones who had already died in faith as well. We understand this. Um, and if you don't understand it, perhaps you will after After our study. Grace in Christ has always been there. Even when Christ wasn't known by his name. Grace has always been a provision of his. Because Jesus has always been there. His plan has always been there. And he satisfied it at a certain set point in time. But all of those ones were part of his plan as well. We understand. Paul steers us to that in verse 20 of Romans chapter 5. Moreover the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded... Grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, the majority of the Old Testament, we understand, <laughs> takes place, well, actually, five four dispensations are, are presented in Genesis. If you're not familiar with dispensations, let's talk about it here after service because we're going to talk about it at length in this study. But you have innocence, conscience, human government promise four of those dispensations all covered in the book of Genesis and then what happens in Exodus the Israelites come out here's the law is presented to Moses and then Exodus Numbers Deuteronomy Joshua Judges Ruth 1st and 2nd Samuel so on and so forth it takes place in the in the time of the law right what does it say here about the law the law entered that the offense might abound before Jesus even came but where grace or where sin abounded Grace abounded much more. That means before Jesus even came on the scene, before He was born to the Virgin Mary, before that even took place, grace was abounding much more. When the law came in and sin was abounded and everything was named and it was presented and man had no further excuses... Every age, every dispensation disproving his capability, disproving his ability to provide for himself spiritually. Every dispensation was there. And here's the law. Finally, we'll just write this all out for you. And man failed. But grace was abounding even then. Even then. By the work of Jesus. In that age, sin abounded, we see in verse 20. But grace abounded much more even in that age well before Joseph and Mary, well before Jesus was born, well before Paul and the apostles presented the age or the grace message that is. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, even if they didn't know his name. We need not forget that. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, whether they knew him or not. So we're going to take some time in the coming weeks finding the evidence of Jesus and His grace. Jesus, not just Jesus' grace, but God's grace presented as it's illustrating Jesus, the epitome of grace. And we're going to do it through each one of those dispensations that I mentioned uh, before. Each one of them. We'll take, well, we might not just go one dispensation per lesson, but look at a single one. I mean, the law, like I said, went from Exodus all the way to just about the very end of, of the Old Testament Uh, there are plenty to work with there. So we're going to look at each one of these as it's divided out in those ages that we call them, those dispensations, and we're going to find grace, and we're going to see Jesus represented and presented there uh, in those things. And I hope that you enjoy it as much as I have thus far. Uh, Our first example will come from that first age, that age that we consider the age of innocence, right? So turn all the way to the left part of your Bible. All the way back there to the second chapter. I trust you understand and you know what happened in the first chapter of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created all the animals. He created the firmament. He created all of those things. Uh, Here in that age of innocence, we call it innocence because man was created so. Perhaps this was the briefest of dispensational periods. Uh, It didn't last very long. It didn't seem. And it began with the creation of mankind. So if you look in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, it says that the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and uh, and breathed into his nostrils the bread of life. And man became a living being. This being after God said to himself, let us make man in our image. Plural, indicating the plurality of that triune Godhead that we understand that eh, some push back on, but once you recognize it and you see it, it's not difficult to see after you consider who He is and see it presented so clearly throughout Scripture. But here it is He breathed into His nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And He made woman as well, took a rib from Adam and created Eve, and He appointed man. Uh, to, well, what did he appoint him to there in verse 15 through verse 17? Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So Adam was put into that garden to, well, if you look in the meaning of those words, it was to serve and protect. You see that printed on police cars. Uh, oftentimes, to protect and serve or to serve and protect. He was intended to uh, oversee that garden and to do so in innocence, to do so without having partaken of that single, well, that single commandment that they had, do not eat of this tree. And in doing so, do not become, well, if, what's the right word? Intimate with evil? Intimate with wickedness? Do not... Come to know that knowledge of good and evil. Maintain that innocence as you go about your business that I've put you in. And it was pretty simple business, it seems. So that age continued until, until Adam did fall. Until Adam determined he was going to know evil. Uh, he and Eve both. They failed in their disobedience. You understand. Flip to chapter three. All of this, I'm sure, is a review to you. But this is after the serpent. That false teacher that we considered on Sunday evening taught Eve falsely. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And in this moment is when innocence was lost. Uh, When they partook of that and they, well, again, became intimate with the knowledge of evil. When God didn't want that for them, God didn't have that for them. Now, did God know that was going to happen? Absolutely he did. God sees everything front to back and then some. Uh, he sees eternity as the big, well, whatever, helix and infinity, infinity symbol and roundness, What? Put it in all the kind of meta stuff that you want to. God understands it all as though it's nothing. Better than I know the palm of my hand. He knew what was going to happen. He did it anyway. Uh, That being said, he didn't want this for them. He didn't want sin to enter in. He just recognized that it would. Death became a part of the makeup of man. Sin became a part of the doings of man. The ground was cursed. Man was cursed. Woman was cursed. So on and so forth. Isn't this a happy (laughs) A happy consideration thus far, right? Uh, this is where we were ourselves in this age when we first sinned. We invited Adam's curse for ourselves. We understand this. Certainly, we have this flesh. There is a, a flesh about us, but we understand that as soon as we have any kind of understanding for ourselves of what not or what evil can be of what wickedness can be we partake of those things we make a choice for ourselves James chapter 4 and verse 4 James expounds on that uses rather strong language here he says adulterers and adulteresses do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes or appoints himself an enemy of God now we use that term adulterer term adulteresses even though it sounds kind of harsh is it not a faithlessness uh, when we dismiss what God has for us? Is it not being unfaithful to Him when we know what it is that He wants from us and we give Him something else? Even after, well, even after we've accepted Him. Perhaps even more so when we don't yet know Him and, and we act in a certain way. There's guilt that's there certainly, but God's own people who have believed, who have been saved. And we choose knowingly, no, there's a certain measure of unfaithfulness that is there. Uh, it's like an infidelity, unfortunately. It's accurate. Um, you make a choice, though, uh, to alter your allegiance. And that's what Eve did. She said, God told me this. This serpent tells me this. I think I'm going to believe him. Look at this fruit. It's good for food. Look at this. It's desirable to eat. And you know what I do? Yeah, I think I want to know what he's talking about here. Uh, and It's a sad state to be put in, but we've done it ourselves, certainly. Uh, some of you young, not young people, some of you folks, Rachel mentioned parent-teacher conferences. Sarah asks prayer for her kids oftentimes. A number of other ones do. I've been in places where I've taken care of Kids who are in bad situations, perhaps a number of you might even have relatives or ones that you know rather closely that being at home in the conditions that their home is in. You recognize that there's a certain innocence that's lost that was by no choice of theirs. Perhaps you've seen that. Uh, I have seen kids where they knew things and had seen things and witnessed things and even partaken of things that I've never dreamed of partaking of. And it wasn't because they had made that choice necessarily to do that, but it was because of the environment that they were in. And it's horrifying stuff when you think about it. The innocence of childhood can be lost. We choose to surrender our own innocence when we know what the Lord has for us. The Adam and Eve surrendered their innocence. They knew what the Lord had, and they chose that knowledge that he didn't want for them. Uh, We could go on in that vein, but for time's sake, I'm not going to go there. Any further, But you understand that innocence was there and innocence was elected to be put aside. And so once innocence is lost, once innocence is no longer there and sin is embedded there, once man knows how to, well, knows trouble and uh, the sparks are flying upward as it were, then they go on and they demonstrate what we do in verse 7 of Genesis chapter 3. We see them doing what we always try to do. We try to fix it for ourselves. It's not just a present-day kind of situation. They tried to fix it for themselves as well. Very simply, the eyes of both of them were opened, we read in verse 7, and they knew that they were naked, so what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together, made themselves coverings, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of uh, of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, why did they do this with the fig leaves and why did they hide? Because they were ashamed and because they were afraid. And rightly so, when you have put your innocence aside, or when you have knowingly sinned against God, there's a reason to be ashamed there. And there's a reason even to be afraid of that. Uh, Knowing that we have stepped against the Almighty God, uh, there should be a fear of offending him there should be a fear of grieving him once you understand what that is certainly they were right in being ashamed they were right in being afraid they had been given and gifted this innocence that they had and they put it aside Uh, they defied the almighty god they'd been unfaithful and they had befriended his enemy you could say and then when he came to call them on it they fled from his presence and they worked to cover it up they worked to cover it up. What did they do with those fig leaves? They sat down and sewed them. There was a needle and thread involved of some sort. There was some kind of work, whether they have needle and thread or bound things together or strips together, or whatever the case might be. It demonstrates that they were working to cover this up, working to somehow cover the shame in and of themselves. We understand that that doesn't work. Uh, Man's never going to do that. But they didn't have the law, certainly. They didn't have the evidence of the law and all these other ages and dispensations proving that man can't cover himself up, can't remove that shame. But we have it. Paul spoke to Titus in Titus chapter 3 and verse 3. He says, "...for we ourselves were also once foolish, once like Adam, once like Eve. We were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another." we were disobedient. We were had foregone innocence. Sometimes we still dabble in the things that cost us our innocence. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, this is the good part, not by works of righteousness which we have done, not any effort that we have made at sowing fig leaves, not any effort that we have made at, at Well, it's not even an attempt at righteousness, but trying to run away, trying to get ourselves right before we come back to the Lord. No, nothing like that. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through who? Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Uh, We oftentimes try to sew up things to cover or to distract our shortcomings to cover our shame to give us uh, give us more I don't know boldness in hiding those things that have cost us our innocence and saints it doesn't work we understand that we need something else we need grace we need Christ it didn't work for Adam the fig leaves didn't cover them <laughs> running from the Lord didn't hide them they weren't going to get themselves right before they faced the Lord again they weren't going to do it among, just among themselves, between the two of them. They weren't going to do anything that was going to be profitable, beneficial, or anything, as long as they were trying to sew their stuff together and, well, stay away from the Lord. They needed Him. He was the only one that was going to do it and likewise for us. We understand this. Romans chapter 5, back to that fifth chapter of Romans as we start winding things down. Let's see where Christ comes in, even in the Old Testament. In Romans chapter 5, while it's in the New Testament, it'll point us that direction. It says there that God demonstrates his own love toward us in this age, certainly, but to them as well, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. No news to you all. You understand His death purchased our unmerited, undeserved salvation. His death was again that presentation, perfect presentation of grace. It was grace in motion. As horrifying as it was for those ones who stood there and watched that take place, if they had the understanding, if we could go back in time and stand there in Calvary and watch Jesus experience that crucifixion, we would know in the horror of it what a blessing it was. What a Joy was actually taking place there to a very real measure that we can't really explain, that you wouldn't understand if you didn't have an intimate knowledge of who the Lord Jesus is and what he was doing. But there was joy, a joyful situation taking place in the terror and the horror of the cross. His broken body, his shed blood, bought our entrance into heaven, you might say. It bought us reconciliation with the Father. Again, it's the definition of grace. It's what covers the shame in us. It's what pays the way, so that we need not be fearful of Him. That we can come boldly before the throne of grace, and we see that same grace that was presented there in Calvary is what. Well, it's the same grace that protected and and, well covered covered Adam and Eve back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21. It's almost a throwaway verse, and I'm confident most of you, if not all of you, know exactly where I'm going, where Jesus is presented in this simple uh, Sunday school story in verse 21. The same grace of Calvary is the same thing that's presented here in verse 21 of Genesis 3. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Now, if you're not familiar with the story, if you're not familiar with the concept of grace, then this would almost be a throwaway verse to you. But if you do understand, well, something had to die for them. And the Lord, well, let's just say it this way. They had earned death in their disobedience, hadn't they? They ran from the Lord. Hadn't they earned for themselves a disfellowship? with the lord didn't they even invite that for themselves they they heard him walking and they went the other direction didn't they earn for themselves the right to be afraid every time that he came they they earned this death shame and mortal fear that's what they earned in partaking of that fruit that the almighty god told them not to and yet the lord Well, he could have struck them dead on the spot. And he could have left that fear in place. He could have left all of those things. And certainly there's a measure of that when he cursed mankind and drove them out of the garden. But before driving them out of the garden, he covered them up. He didn't allow them to remain ashamed. It was their fault that they were ashamed in the first place. You understand? It was their fault they were ashamed. It was their fault that they felt like they needed to hide. And he didn't say, come out here and just let everyone see you in your shame, and embarrass them, and so on and so forth. Again, it was just the two of them. But that being said, he covered them up. Almost, almost no questions asked. Almost no questions asked. Uh, his desire was not to just smear them off of the face of the earth and say, ah that, was, ah, that was a bad little experiment there. Ah, we tried. That is what it is. No, he didn't do that. He didn't want to wipe them out. He wanted his beloved creature, and he wants his beloved creature to share eternity with them. We understand this to be so, even if Adam and Eve didn't in the moment. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, I'm going to go through these quickly so that I can close this up. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. This came well after Adam and Eve, but it still applied to them just as being the progenitors of mankind, didn't it? I know the plans I have for you. You're going to wreck this. (laughs) You're going to misstep. You're going to not just misstep. You're going to sin and sin royally. And everyone's going to attach your name to it. That being said, I know what I have for you. A future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me. And I will listen to you. Tender words from the Lord. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. He wanted and wants to clothe people who have made themselves shameful, who have made themselves afraid. He wants to do that and give them an opportunity to finish their course. Psalm 132 speaks to that in verse 8. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place. You and the ark of your strength, let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. Isaiah 61.10, another familiar passage. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. These are taken out of context, but they apply nonetheless. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for He has clothed me. With the garments of salvation, he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Where does that come from? Grace. No one deserves the robe of righteousness. No one deserves the garment of salvation. Even the priests didn't deserve to be clothed with the righteousness. It was simply by faith and by the grace that came from the Lord God. And in that same way, he showed grace. Demonstrated Jesus just in that simple act of slaying those animals, whatever they might have been. Might they have been sheep? Perhaps tearing their skin from them and putting it upon them. I dare say it was probably, I don't know, Lord might have cleaned it up and tanned it real nice and made it real special, or it might have been dripping blood. I don't want to just be harsh and gross, but he might have let them feel the death a little bit, might have let them understand it, but regardless, he covered up their their shame because of his grace, just as Jesus did. It was an ugly thing on the cross, and sometimes he lets us understand the blood, doesn't he? But it covers up our shame nevertheless. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Even in this opening piece, this opening portion of, well, the first age, that first dispensation, Christ was represented and represented well to these ones who didn't know his name. Gave them an understanding, a piece of information. And by our studying it and by our looking at it, we understand that right out of the gates, there's no reason to dismiss any portion of this Old Testament as not being for us, as not being pertinent to us, as not teaching us who Jesus is, what he's about, what he has done and what he is willing and wanting to do for us. Saints, this is just a little introductory lesson, just a little introductory sample, something perhaps you've already known for yourself. Uh, As we go on and look further into these dispensations and we see some of these things that maybe aren't as easy to see, we will see that Jesus made himself plain throughout the Old Testament. Jesus demonstrated himself and the grace that he represents to a number of different ones here and certainly to us who have the Old and New Testament to compare in the appropriate way as we prepare for this study. I do ask that you would pray that it would be a blessing to all of us.